0: and <clears throat> said that while they were singing that song, uh, the Lord just spoke to him and and uh, said that in the in the darkest moment of life that's whenever the Lord shines the brightest and uh, you whenever know, he has the ability to prevail, and I believe that and uh going to throw this out here for what it's worth Uh, we've had a pandemic Uh, I suppose some say we have some others say we have not whatever our thoughts are on that I will say that those that are in charge and speaking to that uh, that they have taken advantage of great fear and they have used the fear of death literally almost to paralyze our world. And uh, when you are not afraid of death, then that fear has no power over you. And uh, I was, uh, I want you to, uh, I was going to read this at the end, but, Point this out to you right now. I want you to turn to John Chapter five and um, and I want you to um, look to verse twenty four. Don't have this scripture underlined in your Bible, and I I do not have it underlined in this Bible right here. I've got, um, I love when I hear men in our church going and buying new guns because it it gives me an excuse to go buy another Bible. And uh, Brother Patrick just bought a new gun. Was telling us how much it cost and I was calculating in my mind how many more Bibles I can buy for what he spent for that gun <laughs> and so I've got a Bible that's not marked in it's a fourth edition Thompson chain reference Bible it's like the one that I uh, stole from my mother when I was 15 years old because she wasn't using it um, so it's not underlined in my Bible but it's underlined in a, a lot of my other Bibles but John 524. I don't know what she said, but, oh, it was because it was so big, so big. It was not a, that's right. She told my dad it wasn't a lady's Bible. And so, and so, um, but I found, found this one and, and um, I'm rambling, forgive me. John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. And then I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and I want you to look in verse 14. And the Bible says, Therefore as much then chapter 2 verse 14 for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death all their lifetime subject to bondage. And um, the last several weeks, I, I did have a number of conversations, and, and I really can't say that they were any different from any of those that I've had in the past with Brother Paul. Um, but know this, Brother Paul was not afraid of death. told me so many times he said I want to make sure I finish well and um, I'll say this for him I'll probably mention it at the funeral as well, Paul Miller was a pastor's friend and uh, several times where he uh, stood in my behalf whenever I was not present and uh, I thank God uh, for him and uh, his passing is going to leave a hole in this congregation just like others that have passed away. Uh, they're missing. I don't, I don't know if missing in action is a good term to use, but they're missing from among us. But we will keep going on, and we will be faithful to the end. And uh, love the church. Love those people that sit in front of you, those people that sit behind you, those that sit across the aisle from you. Love those people. Because when you get in a place where you can't pray for yourself, there is a brother or sister that can come along, and when you are faithless and full of doubt, then their faith can be engaged, and they can pray for you when you can't pray for yourself. Psalm 27 and 4. The Bible says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple and then turn over with me to Psalm 50 this is a Psalm of Asaph the Bible says there the mighty God even the Lord had spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun into the going down thereof out of Zion the perfection of beauty God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Look at verse 5. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice and the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself. See, let's ask the Lord to touch his word here tonight. Lord, your presence is here and I ask you, Lord, tonight you would take Lord this word to encourage Lord this local church help us Lord to be so hungry so desirous of heaven that there is nothing that we let get in our way as we pursue you Consecrate our lives, Lord, to you. And help us, God, to be holy men and women of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I am, uh, I mentioned this morning, I uh, have a journal, and uh, I call it my heaven journal. And I started it a number of years ago when Sister Patterson got sick and uh, passed away. And since that time, I have periodically, I will write things down in it, and uh, generally it pertains to heaven, scriptures, quotes, various things that I find uh, that I feel like will be an encouragement uh, to me, and um, so... Some of this may be more personal devotion than it is a sermon per se. But I want to uh, just for a few minutes. And I this morning when I was preaching, it was my intent not to yell and get all wound up, and and I did exactly that. So I'm gonna do my best not to uh, just to talk to you here tonight about the beauty of heaven. Um, these scriptures that, that I have read to you here tonight, familiar scriptures, I hope, especially the one in Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Whenever we really consider the beauty of heaven, um, we do have to contend with Satan. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13, and I want to point out what John wrote that the Lord had given to him. But look there in Revelation chapter 13, And look in verse 6. The Bible says there, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Our enemy slanders three things. He slanders God. He slanders God's people. And then he slanders God's place, and that can be two places. That can be the church, but namely when we look at his slander, it comes against heaven. Because you see, the devil hates the new heaven. If we could put it in this way, we would say that uh, the devil hates the new heaven and the new earth as much as a deposed dictator would hate a new government and a new leader in a nation that is free. That is how much that the devil hates uh, this matter called heaven. But I would tell you tonight, the devil can never stop the redemptive work of the cross. He can never stop salvation that the Lord has provided for those of us that uh, have been born of water and spirit. But He can do His very best to keep us really, um, really, really away from seeking the beauty of heaven. I got in last night and got in very late and uh, Teresa was was still up and, and I just, I told, told her and I've, I've told her this before, I said, Teresa, I said if, if there was something about it that all of us could get just a drastic view of heaven, everything in this world would be so empty and everything in this world would never be a distraction to us ever again because we would pursue heaven as nothing else in our lives. So I want to talk to you just uh, for a few minutes and again it will be a few minutes and I will pay attention to the time but I want to talk to you first of all about the beauty of the gates. I want you to turn over a few pages to Revelation 21 and let's look at what John the Revelator saw whenever he began to look at the gates. Look there in verse 12. The Bible says, there, speaking about heaven, and had a wall great and high, and had 12 gates, and the gates, 12 angels, the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. He speaks of the matter that whenever this city that is walled, that it has gates in it. Why would uh, a city need gates? Well, in old times, a city's gates were a place of defense from the enemies. Whenever you look at heaven, there's something different about heaven that begins to be unfolding in this. And first of all, it's this, is that we have to understand that that the enemies of the kingdom, they have now been cast into a lake of fire. And the enemies of the kingdom are forever banished. So there will never, ever again be an enemy that will be able to usurp and be able to invade God's holy heaven. And so the second thing that I look at is that the gates are always open. Look down to verse 25. The Bible says, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. The gates are, are always open. And that means that as those gates are always open, that means that there will be people that will be coming and going in and out. Now, if there is a matter that that we would think, well, perhaps an imposter would be there, John said that at every gate that there was an angel that was there, and I really believe that the reason that that angel was there at the gate is because we know that angels were created for worship. And so there is a constant worship that goes on from angels, but it also uh, will be coming from those of us that are part of His church. The third thing that I would point out about these gates is, again, not only are they always open, but the gates are an equalizer. And You say, what do you mean by that? I mean that whenever you get to heaven, there uh, will be no uh, elevation, rather, in heaven because everybody will have access to that gate. There will not be any sense of, of elitism that's there. There will not be any part where that, that there is a pecking order that you find there in heaven. Because everyone that goes in and out of those gates, they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I have to clarify to you that for those saints that have passed on uh, from our congregation, and some of them I am so confident because of their lives and the witness of the testimony and the fruit that came out of their lives, that there is absolute assurance that that I know that they are there. Now, obviously, I'm not the judge, but I do believe that as we read the Bible that we can look toward good works that comes from people's lives. And what is the motivation of those works? It is that we love our Father who is in heaven. And so because of that, let me clarify and, and again tell you that uh, they are not in this heaven yet. This is for a future point. There is a place called paradise. And sometimes people bring up that matter of, of the cross, the thief on the cross. That thief is there in paradise. The rest of those that pass from this life now to where are the dead, that they are in this place called paradise and I made this reference here this morning that if you were to fly from Miami to Los Angeles, you're probably going to fly out of Miami and you're going to have a layover that's going to be in Atlanta. And then you're going to stay there for a period of time and then you will perhaps get on a nonstop flight that will take you from Atlanta to Los Angeles. That layover area is the area of paradise. That's where that the saints, that they wait in peace and that they wait. In fellowship and as, as the writer of Hebrews says that there is a great cloud of witnesses and and forgive me has nothing to do with me it all has to do everything with the scripture but I walked out of here this morning I was so encouraged just by the word of the Lord of the things that we read there about the connection of this church and the connection of that church that has already gone to the other side. And so those gates, those open gates, they they are the the equalizer. There will not be any uh, elites in heaven that, that are there. The fourth thing that I would bring out about this city is this, is that each side of the city extends 1,400 miles. Now think about that for a minute. That you've got one wall that goes in one direction. If you go and you tomorrow decide that you want to get on Interstate 10 and you pick it up down in Chipley, you will drive Interstate 10, uh, not quite, but about 675 miles will get you to Houston. And uh, so you think about that. So you drive 700 miles to Houston, and then there is another 700 miles. And so each wall is seven hundred miles long and or fourteen hundred miles long. And then that would be the that would be the south wall, and then the west wall, fourteen hundred miles, and the north wall, fourteen hundred miles, and then the east wall, fourteen hundred miles, and there are three gates, and those gates are scattered out over that fourteen hundred mile period. That would tell us, and when you hear of the right that that's heaven. Okay, don't, don't get lost in this idea that heaven is gonna be a, 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 the, the foolish ignorance that the world tries to bring out that we're gonna be on, on flat on clouds and we're gonna be playing uh violins, and for us in South Alabama to call them a fiddle. You're not gonna be on a on a on a cloud fiddling when you get to heaven. Heaven is gonna literally gonna blow your mind away. It is gonna be this life, literally. It's going to be on steroids. And so you think about that, that that this heaven is going to be that big. And here's what we have to understand, that there's going to be people from every kindred and tribe and nation that will be there. And we will be citizens of that city. We will come and go. We will have the ability to... Uh, Be as as turn. Look in your Bible to Philippians chapter three, and Paul uses a word there that some of the more modern translations modify a little bit. But look at Philippians chapter three and look in verse twenty. Here is what Paul writes. He uh, he he makes a comparison. Let's start in verse eighteen. He said, "For many walk." of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. And then he says, I want you to see a contrast. Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven. And from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV says it like this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever you get to that city, there will be no poverty. Y'all turn the air on, we're getting hot in here. There will be no poverty. There will be no rubbish. There will be no class consciousness. There will be no turf wars. There will be no crime. There will be no garbage. There will be no lawlessness. We will live in a city where you just think you've experienced some peace down here. When you get to that city, it is going to be amazing the peace that is there in our lives. And the fingerprints of the artist, of the creator, that if he, if he took seven days to build this world, and I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I have seen the Smokies, and I've seen the Rockies, and I have, have been in places, I've been to Oregon, and, and you, you get out and you look around and you think, man, I could live here I could live in the shadow of Mount Hood. I could live uh, on whatever that, that river is that, that is there. That uh, When you start looking at all of the wildlife and the, and, and the majesty of the creation of God, and he built that in seven days. And Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. And then he began to talk about the fact that he was going to prepare a place for us and has been working on that place now for 2,000 years. And we earnestly await our arrival to be there. Every feature speaks of God's attributes. And when you start thinking of, of the attributes of God, His holiness, His righteousness, His love, His justice, every bit of that is going to be reflected there in that city. The priceless stones speak of His beauty and His grandeur. The open gates speak to us of that accessibility. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know and I have been in this position before to to walk into this sanctuary and and, and the old sanctuary and and perhaps during the week or, or during the month, something had came in and had blocked my ability to be able to reach the Lord. You ever felt like that? That you just felt like there was something between you and the Lord and you just couldn't worship with liberty and freedom and with authority? There will be none of that in heaven. Every bit of that will be gone in those open gates. Speak to the fact that we will be there with an accessible God. But not only is that beauty something to be experienced, there's going to be a resurrection body. The most beautiful person that you've ever seen, and I don't, and I hope for those of us that are married, the most beautiful person you've seen is your spouse. And I'm not saying that just to, to I'm 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 saying that with feeling or I I love my wife and and um and uh, here recently as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think back to those days whenever uh we were both in our twenties. And I brought up the other day, and, and Lauren was scoffing and whatever, and I th- thought we were going to have to get her some, some Zofran or Finnegan because she was acting like she was nauseated, but anyway, um, I just started telling my wife and telling Teresa that I would remembered her back in her 20s and, and uh, just that part, but, but listen to me here tonight, the most beautiful person in the world is still marred by the sinful fall of man. And if we were to see Adam and Eve prior to the curse, Adam and Eve would take our breath away. We would be shocked at their presentation, at how beautiful that Eve was, how handsome that Adam was. And yet if we flip that, and we were to bring Adam and Eve to see us now, they would be filled with shock and with pity as they have seen what is taking place in the life of man. But when we get to heaven, and Brother Pierce and I have had some running conversations about this, is that I personally believe that whenever we get to heaven, that we will be somewhere between 30 and 33 years old. You say, how in the world did you come to that thought? Um, that was the earthly ministry of the Lord. And that when you look uh, throughout, and theologians all through history have greatly debated uh, that thought. But 30 to 33 is about a time where that... that. Um, for all you that are less than 30, 33, please enjoy it uh, because when you get beyond 35 and, and then you get into your 50s and 60s and, and all that, and I used to laugh at some of the patients. I didn't laugh at them. I laughed privately. Uh, there, there were some of these old farmers that would come in. They were absolutely convinced that if they would spray WD-40, Sister Sanders, maybe you've heard patients tell you this before, they were absolutely convinced that if they sprayed WD-40 on their joints, on their knees, and on their hips, that they, Mr. Chumney says that works. Maybe I need to try it. But some of these old farmers here in the wiregrass would tell, I mean, they were convinced that if you would spray WD-40 uh, on your joints, it, 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 they would move a little bit better uh, for you and 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 but but trust me, I I believe that when we get to heaven, that these resurrected bodies, uh, it's going to be amazing. Will we recognize each other? I believe we will. I believe there will be a recognition, and that when we see those that have passed on, that the physical challenges and struggles that they had here as we remember them in this life, that all of that will be gone. And Paul Miller's wasted body, that he experienced particularly in the last six weeks, Gary Butler in the same position that cancer wasted his body before he passed away. That when we see those people again, those physical deformities, those physical calamities that happen to them will be totally gone. If you've read and again, I, a vice is, is my vice is reading and uh I don't know that that's necessarily bad, but I, I do read a lot and and I hope I've read things about when you get to heaven that you're gonna be able to um, do some things you enjoy. I maybe I have a bookstore or a library or some such, and uh, but if you've read The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, or if you've read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, even though that those stories are uh, what they call fantasy literature, and I don't really classify them as that, uh, but they do paint pictures of different worlds. But here's what we have to realize: is that Tolkien and Lewis both were writing from the angle of a Christian worldview. And uh, it's literature that, that is filled with religious overtones. In fact, one of the ones that really stands out to me from the Lord of the Rings is whenever uh, Frodo and Sam Ganji and and the other two fellows are, are trying to go to the place where that they're trying to get the ring, and the ring uh, is the sin nature. If you want to look at it like that, I don't know if you've read the, some of you read the Lord of the Rings, but but what they're trying to do is to destroy the sin nature. And whenever they get into those places, they pull their swords out, and Tolkien writes it like this: so There's something called orcs, and they are similar to demons. And whenever they have that sword in their hands, that sword begins to glow blue whenever the enemies are starting to approach them. And what they do is they slip away and they hide there. But both of those books are so full of religious and, and, and cre- a Christian worldview. Now there's a portion in, and I think Clay has read, the Chronicles of Narnia, so he, he may remember this. But uh, in the books, it's divided up into, into chapters. There is one segment in there that's called The Last Battle. And I'm going to read that to you here tonight. There's a character by the name of Aslan, and he's a lion. And yet Aslan is the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. And Aslan turned to them and and said, you don't look so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. have Have you not guessed And their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose up within them. And Aslan replies, there was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. But the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all of the stories. And we must truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, in the Shadowlands. And all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so for every child of God that has passed from this life and that they have moved into the next one, it is true, like C.S. Lewis says, you've only seen the cover and you've only seen the title page. Because if we live to be 120 years old, it is a drop in the bucket to what eternity is going to be. I'm going to conclude with reading to you Revelation chapter 21. I'd like for you to turn there. Revelation chapter 21, I'd like to begin in verse 1. The Bible says there, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Skip down to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone that was clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the of the wall, of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold, likened to clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second Sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth the Topaz, the tenth Chrysoprasius, the eleventh a jacinth, and the twelfth an Amethyst, and the twelve gates. Think about that. These are all precious jewels here, but when you get to heaven... They're just chain link fences. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every several gate was of one pearl. And the city of the and the street of the city was pure gold, as as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple there therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light thereof. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river there was the tree of there was the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We've got to make it to heaven, church. You've got to make it to heaven. You must make it to heaven. There's no other goal in your life that is worth missing heaven. I'd like to pray for you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Your presence, Lord, has, has been in this sanctuary, Lord, this morning and tonight. We felt the encouragement. We felt the strength of your spirit. I pray, Lord, tonight for this church. Lord, for every person that's here that somehow, God, that we get such a fierce determination, Lord, to reach heaven, that we put this world, Lord, in our rearview mirror, and we pursue you, Lord, with everything inside of us. I ask you, Lord, tonight, that every attack of the enemy, every fiery dart of doubt that comes, Lord, in our direction, Let us immediately, Lord, hold up the shield of faith which is able to quench every fiery dart. I pray, Lord, tonight that there are those here that, Lord, that they have not experienced the new birth. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that tonight that they give serious thought as to the direction of their life And that, Lord, for those of us that that have experienced, Lord, the new birth, that we continue, God, to walk faithfully, that we walk, Lord, even fearfully, Lord, in your presence, that somehow, God, that there would be something that you would do with every single one of us. Because, Lord, all of us who you have filled, Lord, with your Spirit, you filled us, God, with a purpose And Lord, there is a calling that we must do. I pray, Jesus, tonight that you help us, God, to do that, Lord, calling with great diligence. I ask you, Lord, tonight, God, that you put hedges about our families, that you put hedges, Lord, about our marriages, but most of all, Lord, put a hedge about our mind. Let our mind,